this weekend, we're going to talk about triumphing over trauma, triumphing over trauma. And I believe this is a message that all of us need in the room. You may not feel like you've walked through anything traumatic. You might go, you know, Paul, I, I didn't fight in the war. I'm not a Vietnam vet. I don't have PTSD. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not dealing with any traumatic, you know, experiences in my mind. But the truth is all of us in this room have faced trauma or will face trauma. We may not know it, but as you, as you listen to this message, I just want you to open your heart to receive from God's word that the truth is we all will at some point in our lives face something traumatic but the trauma does not have to write our story. The trauma does not have to have the final say of our emotions and our mental health and our spiritual health and our destiny and our purpose, that we can triumph over the trauma. If you have a Bible, go to Romans 8, verse 28. Yes, we love the word of God. We shout for the first scripture as if it's like scoring the first touchdown in a football game. We just believe that the word of God is worth shouting for and cheering for. Romans 8 verse 28, Paul the apostle is writing this, this passage and Paul has suffered a shipwreck, a snake bite. He's been through, you know, people who've abandoned him, people who've abused him. Um, he's been mistreated. He's been thrown in jail multiple times. Um, he's experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He's gone through all kinds of traumatic experiences. And he says this in verse 28, for we know that in all things, everybody say all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So Paul is saying, God didn't cause the trauma, but he's going to use every traumatic event in your life for his glory. And he's gonna turn what the enemy meant for harm for your good. I wanna look at one more passage and it's Genesis 37. We're gonna look at a guy who went through something that was pretty traumatizing. Um, Joseph, you might've heard his story. He was the dreamer. When he was 17 years old, God gave him a dream that one day he would lead his family and the entire nation of Israel um, into a place of provision, that he would somehow be the leader, the president of a country, and that his family members would come and they would serve underneath his leadership, and then he would provide during a time of a famine. So Joseph has this dream at 17 years old of being a great leader. Well, he shares that dream with his brothers, and uh, they're not too stoked about the idea of serving their younger brother, Joseph. So they get jealous. And in Genesis 37, verse 18, um, when his brothers saw him walking in a distance, they knew it was Joseph. He wore a coat that his dad had given him. It was a coat of many colors. It was, you know, this beautiful, fashionable coat. And they said, um, we're gonna kill our brother, right? So the Bible is full of crazy stories, like brothers killing each other, family members, just traumatic events. Um, and it all leads up to, you know, the New Testament where Jesus shows up and brings the salvation that the world needs. But before that, Sometimes we, sometimes we like to skip the trauma and go straight to the healing. But if you don't understand the trauma, you won't fully receive the healing. You have to face the trauma in order to really receive the healing. And so th this family is dysfunctional. And the brothers say in verse 19, here comes our brother, the dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these old cisterns and say that a ferocious animal has devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And so uh, one of the brothers talk, tries to talk the other brothers out of it. They decide, nope, we're gonna do it. They take Joseph, um, and in verse 22, it says they stripped him of his robe, they beat him, and they threw him into a cistern in verse 23. So they're, they're literally like just humiliating Joseph, making fun of him, they're bullying him. 
and they throw him into this pit um, and they leave him to die. And while they're sitting and eating a meal, um, while their brother is dying, they're enjoying like a party without him. All of a sudden they see a caravan of travelers from Egypt, uh, like driving by on their chariots. And so they say to themselves, what good is it for us to leave our brother to die when we could actually make money off of him? Let's sell him as a slave to Egypt and then at least we can go home with some money. So they sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver and he gets sold as a slave to these Egyptians. And in their minds, they think it's over. We don't have to deal with our brother anymore as if he is dead to them. Joseph has just experienced the first part of his traumatic journey towards his dream. And um, as we look at Joseph's story, we're gonna look through the lens of how do you triumph over trauma? How do you deal with trauma, whether it's caused by family members, friends, a boss, uh, some random stranger, some pandemic that you've gone through, whatever it is that has caused trauma that God wants you to triumph over it. So Lord, speak to us today. Let us leave encouraged, refreshed, reminded that you are for us, you are with us. God, that you have the final say for our story. God, I pray, Lord, that you would minister to hearts and minds here in the room and those that are watching online. And God, I pray, Lord, for whatever thing you wanna pull out that's been buried deep in their minds or hearts, God, that you just need to pull out and you need to remove so that it no longer has an effect over their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's define trauma. Trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Um, last night when we went to the hospital, they put this, this wristband around me and around Ashley. And, and anytime you go to the hospital, uh, they have, you know, medical terms like trauma, uh, you know, whether you're having a baby. In fact, having a baby is listed as one of the traumatic events. When you go online or you go in the dictionary and you look up uh, causes of trauma, uh, baby, like labor and delivery is traumatic. Um, for, for the woman, not for the man. It is traumatic for the man too. We're there, we're, we're experiencing the trauma. But there is, there, is a, there is a list of reasons that cause trauma. Sometimes we excuse what we've walked through. We say, well, I haven't been through trauma because I didn't fight in the war. I wasn't in the Vietnam War, so I don't, I don't have any trauma. But, but when we um, invalidate our trauma, then we don't actually learn how to heal from whatever we've walked through. When we excuse it and we say, well, my trauma is not as bad as their trauma because they went through a war or they went through a divorce or they grew up in, a, in an abusive home and, and our trauma was that we, we just lost our father to cancer or we had a miscarriage or we went through foster care and it was, you know, it was painful at times. It was difficult. Don't excuse your trauma just because it's not like someone else's trauma because when you do that, then you don't deal with the pain and, and learn how to heal and bring um, not just the healing that you need, but the healing that other people need who are walking through what you've walked through. So trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event. It could be from a car accident, could be rape, could be natural disaster, um, but, but trauma has a lot of effects that, that come with it. It leads to trust issues, it leads to insecurity, it leads to uh, all kinds of anxiety. I wanna give you just a list of traumatic experiences uh, that could have led to your trauma. Um, research estimates that 75%, this was in 2019, 75% of North Americans experience a traumatic event at some point. 75% of North Americans. 
All right? So then it gives a list of what could have caused trauma in your life. Bullying. We saw that with Joseph's brothers. They bullied him. They made fun of him. They laughed at him. They threw him into a cistern. Maybe you didn't get thrown into a cistern. Maybe you got thrown into a trash can, a locker. Maybe you got wedgies in high school. Maybe you got, maybe, maybe like, how many of you guys got bullied in high school? Anyone get bullied in middle school, elementary? This is a part of trauma. And it can cause you to not even want to go back to some of those places. You don't even want to drive near that school or go near that, that playground or be around those people or look uh, uh, at, at situations that could trigger the memories from the bullying. It could be harassment at work. It could be physical, psychological, or sexual abuse, sexual assault, divorce, traffic collisions, childbirth, life-threatening illnesses, sudden loss of a loved one. I remember the night that my, my father passed away, November 22nd. It, the, the date stands out in my mind. Every year on that date, it's a trigger for me uh, because of the trauma that our family walked through, but also September 5th, is a trigger because that was the day I found out he had lymphoma cancer. So the life-threatening illness, when our family found out, it was traumatic for our family. Our heads started spinning. Our hearts started spinning. Our emotions started overflowing. What's going to happen? These are all lists of reasons of trauma. Being attacked by someone. I remember uh, my friend Jonathan growing up when he was 12 years old. We were driving on a bus to a basketball game for Victor Christian School. And we were driving between Tulsa and Oklahoma City. And while we were on the highway, um, our, our bus driver decided to stop at McDonald's in this gas station. And so we go into there and we're going in groups and uh, you know, groups of guys and girls were using the restrooms. And all of a sudden, um, this guy follows into the bathroom, this older man follows into the bathroom, my friend Jonathan, and he tries to kidnap him from the gas station, from, from the McDonald's area. And it was such a scary, traumatic moment that to this day, Jonathan remembers every detail of what happened there when we talk about it. These are reasons for trauma, being kidnapped, acts of terrorism, natural disasters, global pandemics. And when I saw that right there, the global pandemic, I realized it's not 75% of North Americans that have been through trauma. It's 100% of the entire population. But I thought about how all of us in this room just walked through a global pandemic. And they said, what a global pandemic will do is it will cause you to live with anxiety of what's gonna happen next. Because during the global pandemic, you're watching news clips and you're seeing as restrictions are being put on. And the trauma that it causes, not just adults, but children who are told you can't go to school tomorrow. You can't go to school next week. You can't, you can't go to playgrounds. You can't swing on the swing set. When our city shut down playgrounds and swing sets, that entire pandemic, all the restrictions and all the shutdowns had a traumatic effect on children, on teenagers. We watched all over our nation as kids began to, like suicide rates went up, depression went up. These, these are the effects of trauma. Did anyone ever see the movie Inside Out that, that uh, Pixar released like a couple years ago? And in that movie Inside Out, there's this girl named Riley. And we look inside of her mind and we see this picture of all the emotions inside of Riley's mind. I think we have a picture of them. Uh, you have like anger, you have uh, sadness, you have joy, you have fear. Um, and, and, and these emotions are trying to help Riley make decisions with her life because Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, as a girl thinketh, as a young boy thinketh, so is he. The thoughts and the emotions dictate the direction of our life. That's scriptural. And so in this movie, it shows as these thoughts and these emotions are trying to help this girl cope with a traumatizing event. And we might look at the event and go, that's not traumatizing. It's no big deal. She moved from one place to another place. 
The problem was for Riley, all of her comfort and all of her joy and her friendships were in this one spot where she was at. And then her parents said, we're moving to a brand new place. When they moved, it wasn't just the move that affected her moods. It was the fact that on the move, the parents started getting in fights with each other. And so Riley witnesses her first you know, fight in the house between her parents and the screaming and the yelling. And you start to notice as joy and sadness have this fight with each other inside of Riley's heart, inside of her mind. And you watch as all of her core memories start to be affected by the pain and the sadness of the move. This is what happens when we don't know how to deal with trauma. It begins to affect our entire moods. Like we start, we start living with bipolar feelings on a daily basis, up and down, sad one day, happy the next day, never consistent in our moods. Trauma has an effect on every part of our life. When people go through trauma, there's three types of trauma. There's acute trauma. This is uh, the result from a single stressful or dangerous event. And I'm not saying acute trauma, I'm saying acute trauma. All right, so one, this is a one-time thing but it was so painful, it was so bad that it sticks out in your mind. Like my friend, when he was you know, at McDonald's and the guy tried to kidnap him, that was a one single event, but it sticks out in his mind to the point where there was a season where he never wanted to, he never wanted to stop at that gas station. Anytime there was a road trip to Oklahoma City, we're not stopping there because trauma causes you to, to, to avoid anything that would trigger the trauma. Secondly, there's chronic trauma. This results from repeated and prolonged exposure to highly stressful events. Um, examples would include cases of child abuse. So this is daily, it's not just one time, it's a kid who grows up in a house where every single day he's yelled at, he's punched, he's hit, he watches his parents scream and throw stuff in the house, not just one time, but every single day. Chronic trauma, domestic violence, a, an abusive parent causes chronic trauma. I was talking with our kids pastor, uh, about this because she said during the pandemic, um, domestic violence increased like crazy, in, in, not just in our nation, but in India, Brazil, nations all over the world. Trauma just started soaring through the rooftops, uh, you know, during the pandemic. And she said, I noticed as I would go to give children hugs at children's church, I would come in to give a hug and a kid would go like this. And she realized there's someone's been hitting this child. Why is he flinching when, when she's coming in for a hug? Because an adult, chronic trauma triggers avoidance of anything that would be connected to that. And then there's thirdly, complex trauma. This results from exposure to multiple traumatic events. So it's not just one form of trauma. It's not just abuse. It's a mixture of all kinds of trauma. Here's an interesting thought too that's not on the list. I was talking with a pastor um, and if I said his name, you would, you would recognize his name immediately, one of the most well-known pastors in the world. And he said when his, uh, when his ministry took off, and it took off overnight and just exploded with popularity and fame, he said, I didn't realize that success would cause trauma on my family. You always think that negative events cause trauma, but it could also be positive things too. I've talked with, you know, I was reading on, on, the, uh, on news about how people who win the lottery, who go from being very poor to all of a sudden having $700 million, um, how now it's traumatic, the increase overnight of wealth, the increase overnight of fame, what it can do to a person's mental and emotional state, their sense of health, uh, and not living with anxiety or fear or worry about who's coming for them or who's coming to get it from them or what could happen. These are all reasons for trauma. 
But I wanna tell you the truth about trauma from God's word. Number one, we all have faced or we will face trauma in some way. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, you will have trouble in this world. You will have trauma in this world. We all know that, that like, we can't escape. M many of us maybe want a Christian Bible theology that says, I'm going to escape all pain and all difficulty and all traumatic things. But Jesus said, listen, you're going to experience this. The world is full of trouble and it's coming for you, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, you will face trauma, but you don't have to be ruled by trauma. You don't have to live in a constant state of anxiety about that trauma coming for you. Peter said in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, don't be surprised by these fiery trials. Don't be surprised as if something strange was happening to you because you walked through trauma. Like I was talking with one of our, our usher friends who lost a child at a very young age. The child was three years old and, and the sudden loss of a child, it was traumatic. And that trauma can cause anger and frustration like, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why, why did he get sick? Why did he die of cancer? Why was this kid exposed to that? Why did we have to go through this? And all these questions. Last night I was talking with someone at the altar. They said, what do you do with your questions about the trauma? And I said, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that the secret things belong to the Lord. But the Bible also says, we will face troubles. So we need to understand, we're not exempt from it just because we're Christians. In fact, we might even face more trauma in a persecuted nation for believing in Christ uh, than if we didn't believe in Christ. You might be like, and, and, and that those troubles and that trauma could be a sign that you're doing something right. Could be a sign that you're following after God. Don't be surprised by the fiery darts that are coming at you. Number two, God is not the author of your trauma, but he is the trigger for your healing. He is not the author of your trauma, but he's the trigger for your healing. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody who needs to know this today. God was not the author of Joseph's brothers getting jealous and trying to murder their brother. God was not the author of Cain getting jealous of Abel trying to murder Abel. God was not the author of Abraham sleeping with, you know, his wife's uh, maidservant. God was not the author of Jacob and Esau in a constant deceptive battle. He was not the author of David and Bathsheba's uh, affair. He's not the author of the trauma that you walked through or the divorce or the pain that your family walked through, but he is the trigger for your family's healing. He's the trigger for your mental and emotional health. And if you'll open up your heart and say, God, you didn't cause this, but I need you to heal this. Number three, God is with you through the trauma. He's the only one who truly understands your pain. He's the only one who gets it. He's the only one who knows what you're really going through. I wrote a song last year called Dear God, and it was based off of a, a variety of moments in my life where I needed to cry out to God. I actually have a journal that I write in on a weekly basis, and the journal literally says Dear God on it, and it's a space where I just open up and talk to God. I say, God, I need your help in this. God, I'm struggling in this. Lord, I need you to bring peace in this. God loves it when Christians are honest. When we don't put on a church mask or a church face and pretend to have it all together, but when we come to him and say, Lord, you're the only one who knows. You're the only one who understands. Lord, you're the only one who can bring healing to this area of my life. And I love that God does not abandon us in our trauma. He doesn't abandon us. I didn't realize that I had walked through trauma 
because I grew up in a really good home. I grew up with good parents and grew up in a Christian school. And I knew the night my father passed away, something painful had happened in our family. I also knew two months before he passed away when we found out he had been battling cancer for a year and we didn't know about it, that that feeling of not knowing for those 12 months and then finding out that he had this uh, was also traumatic for us and caused me to question everybody and everything and who's telling me the truth and who's not telling me the truth. And, uh, uh, and, and so I knew that I'd walked through some stuff. But when I was about 27 years old, I was sitting down with a counselor and they said, they, they asked me, they said, process with me um, some of the pain that you've walked through. And I was like, well, I don't have a whole lot. Grew up in a good home and, you know, started talking about it. And they said, well, what are some things that you deal with? And I was like, I, you know, I don't deal with much. I just got to brush my teeth at night. Sometimes I forget to do that. You know, like I'm just super shallow. You know how you are with the counselor. You're not going to tell them much. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not good with dogs. I'm, sometimes I get frustrated with dogs. She's like, what's really going on? And I was like, all right, let's talk about it. And I, I said, I'm afraid people are going to leave me. And she, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, I just, you know, this, this counselor who had counseled Ashley and I both, she's, uh, she works in the ministry and she helps minister to pastors and in her 60s, 70s, her and her husband. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, I just, growing up, it felt like I would get to know someone and then they would leave. They would leave our church or they would leave um, out of an offense or something would happen, they would just be gone. And I, I wouldn't know where they went or have the friendship anymore. And she said, okay, well, that's, that's not too traumatic. Did something happen when you were younger where you felt like you were left behind? And I was trying to think about it. I was like, man, I don't, there was one time my parents left me at the Maybe Center when we used to have church at the Maybe Center and they left me for two hours and didn't realize that they had left me there. And so I'm like processing, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was when I got left at the Maybe Center for a couple hours and I made friends with all the security guards and the, and the people who lived in the Maybe Center. Um, I don't think they lived there, but you know, they worked there through the night. And so she laughed and she was like, yeah, that's, that is kind of traumatizing, but is there anything else? So I'm thinking about it. And then it dawned on me. I was like, you know, there's this story my dad always tells where our family went through a house fire. And 1991, I still remember every detail to this story. Six years old, this is 29 years ago. Six years old, um, and I remember hearing my dad scream in the middle of the night, get out, get out, get out, there's a fire, there's a fire, there's a fire. And I didn't know where to go. Smoke had filled our house. To this day, when I'm near a bonfire, it's a trigger of memories, because I can just smell, it's the, the smell of burning wood. Uh, our house was burning in the middle of the night, and I was stuck in this fire, and I could hear my dad screaming, get out, get out, get out, there's a fire. I smell the smoke, I'm stuck in there. Next thing I know, I'm all alone. John had wandered out of the room, me and him shared a room, my brother, and then my sisters, Ruthie and Sarah, couldn't hear them, I was screaming, Ruthie, Sarah, John, mom, dad, somebody save me. And I remember growing up hearing the fire story, and it was always powerful because my dad would tell the story how, you know, he got out of the house, my mom got out of the house, John got out of the house, Sarah got out of the house. Then they realized Ruthie was still in the house, so they went back and got Ruthie out of the house. 
And then they were good until my mom goes, hold on, we got one more family member in the house, Paul. Paul's still in there. And my dad, you know, would tell the story, start laughing. And he said, you know, I ran back in the house, grabbed the door handle, burned my skin on my hand, went back into the house. His contacts melted in his eyes. He was blind for three days. And, and I remember screaming. I was holding the door hinges, screaming in the, in the dark smoke and the fire all around me. Somebody save me. Daddy, save me. Save me. Somebody save me. And I remember my dad touching the top of my head, pulling me out of the fire. And he tells the story. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Except for, I always thought, now how come, <laughs> how come y'all forgot about me in there? Like, no, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be some bratty little kid. My dad risked his life to save me. I know, like, I feel I'm blessed that my dad saved my life. But when I started processing this, with the, the, I realized, I think I'm afraid I'm afraid of being left. I'm afraid of being forgotten. I'm afraid of being left out. And I don't know who's gonna leave me next. And you know, I, I start talking about it and it's like all of a sudden I just started weeping. Like all these emotions started pouring out. And then she said, that's it. I need some help this morning. Can I get 10 men? I need 10 men. I need, I need all ages. I just need 10 men to come up on the stage Come on up here, Marquise, Drew, Mark, Tim. Come, give these guys a big hand as they're coming up on the stage. Come on up here. I need like a young boy too. Is there a, is there a young boy in the room? Is there, is there anyone that's, no, he's like, he's like 20 years old. <laughs> can, I, can I get Levi, will you come up here? Come on. All right, we got one right here. Yeah, both of you. Yeah, stand up, stand over here. Give it up for the mighty men in the room this morning. Yeah, stand right here. All right, and we'll get Levi. You'll stand right next to him. And I remember I was at this retreat where they were talking about um, generational effects of trauma and how it affects the next generation. Yeah, stand right here. And what happens when you're six or seven or eight comes into when you're 11 or 12, and you start to get into some stuff, you're in middle school, you start to be exposed to stuff, and then you get older, and you're able to drive, and you're able, you're going to college, and you're with roommates, and, and then it just carries with you, it carries with you into uh, marriage as you're dating, and, 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 and you're having issues, and, and trust issues with your girlfriend, and trust issues with, uh, with people, and then when you get your first job, and, and how you respond to your boss and how you feel when someone yells at you and how you feel when someone forgets about you and how you feel when someone swings at you and someone hits you or even when they come in for a hug, how you react in those moments that there's a generational bend that begins to happen. Would you just bend all the way down and then would, I wanna curve the bend. You kind of, yeah. And then each of y'all just kind of gradually bend but not as far as him but just a little bit. Keep going, keep going, keep going. All the way to the very and if you'll kind of, yeah, y'all bend a little bit. Yeah, you too. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so this is what happens. It, it affects generations. The Bible says, anytime the Bible introduces a character, it always lists the genealogy. Like when Jesus steps on the scene, it says, Jesus was the son of Joseph, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of 
uh, Rahab, who was the prostitute, who was the son of Boaz, uh, who was the son of so-and-so. And it gives a generational lineage. And when you start looking at the generations, you start realizing my anger issues, the reason I explode, the reason that I bend like this, there's a connection in my family. And you start looking at who else divorced in your family and who else walked through that trauma and who else experienced that abuse and who else had the alcohol and who else had the pain. And you start realizing there is an effect. The trauma doesn't just affect you, it affects your children. It affects your children's children. And this is why we have to understand, number four, is that trauma can have negative effects on our lives if we don't deal with it. So when you excuse it and say, well, I didn't fight in the Vietnam War, so I don't, I don't need to deal with this trauma. I don't need to go see a counselor. I don't need to talk about this to anyone. When you bottle it up and you don't admit that it happened, it begins to have an effect not just on you but on future generations. Give these guys a big hand. Thank you so much. Number five, you're not bad for still feeling the trauma. You're not bad for still feeling the trauma. In fact, we say at Victory, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to come into church and not have all your emotions and your mental health and your spiritual health 100% perfect. You can come to church as you are. You can come to Jesus with your mess, with your sin, with your trauma, with your anxiety, with your fear. I'm so glad that we go to a church where we don't card people at the door and say, get your act together before you come into worship. We say, come in as you are, come as you are, come with your mess, just as I am, God calls me. Listen, you don't have to figure it all out before you come to Jesus. You don't have to do the job of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. You don't have to, and when you try to do that on other people, when you try to play the part of the Holy Spirit on someone else, you only make the trauma worse. We need to leave room for God to do what only he can do. Number six, you don't have to let the trauma dictate your destiny or your daily enjoyment of life. Sometimes we immediately think the trauma is going to affect my purpose, and that is true, but it's also going to affect your daily enjoyment of life. God wants you to live with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. God wants you to live with a healed soul, not a tortured mind. God doesn't want you having flashbacks every night of the rape. He doesn't want you having flashbacks every night of the abuse. He doesn't want you replaying the, the screaming cuss words that, that were shouted at you in the middle of the night from your, sp your spouse or your parents or whoever did it. He wants you to be healed. You don't have to stay traumatized. So we say it's okay to not be okay, but I wanna add this part. It's not okay to stay that way. God wants you to heal. So let's talk about healing from the trauma. You know, we looked at Joseph in the beginning and we saw how Joseph was affected. He was sold as a slave. He was literally like his brothers tried to kill him. It was no secret. Joseph knew his brothers hated him. They didn't want him around. And now here he is living as a slave in a foreign land. They change his name. They change his, his entire dress code, his hairstyle. He'd grown up as a Hebrew boy, but now he's being treated as an Egyptian. And he begins to climb the ladder in Potiphar's house. He works as a slave under Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife accuses him of a crime that he didn't commit. 
So now he, he's thrown in jail, again, almost killed. Um, his life is spared, but he's thrown in jail for the rest of his life. He said, you're, they tell him, you're going to live in this dungeon for the rest of your life. So for the next 15 years, here he is living with the trauma. By the way, they say jail time of any kind is also traumatic on a person's mind uh, mentally and emotionally. Anytime someone's been through, anytime a jail, prison time, it has an effect. And, and, and so here Joseph is. He's living in a constant trauma state of who's going to betray him next, who's going to accuse him next, who's going to forget about him next. The butler forgets about him. The cupbearer forgets about him. And here he is, he's sitting in a prison of trauma. So how, how are we supposed to heal from the trauma? Um, sorry, my phone is blowing up right now. <laughs> I'm just making sure it's not Ashley. Okay, we're all good. Baby's good and healthy. I guess the word is spreading that we had our baby. Y'all are texting your friends. They're all texting me right now. I was just making sure that I'm not missing something. Otherwise, I'm about to leave and you're, it's going to be trauma for y'all. <laughs> Mark will just pick it up and bring the healing from the trauma. All right. Ways to heal from the trauma. Number one, you got to admit it. You got to validate the trauma. You got to recognize what happened. I was invalidating my experience and I wasn't healing from my issues of fearing who was going to leave me next. So here I was, 27, 28 years old, saying what we walked through as a family, our house fire, wasn't that big of a deal because it wasn't like it was World War II. It wasn't like I was dodging bullets or, you know, jumping in ravines. I wasn't in Hacksaw Ridge. Like this wasn't, you know, we, we weren't dealing with Vietnam War. And yet the counselor said, yeah, but, but you went through trauma. Your family barely survived a house fire and you're the last kid in the house. And now every person who comes in your life, you're afraid they're going to leave you. So you treat them a certain way. And you live with this suspiciousness of who's going to leave you next and who's going to forget about you. And I'm realizing now these behavioral effects are connected to childhood trauma. You have to admit it if you're going to heal from it. God won't heal what you won't reveal. If you keep concealing it, he can't heal it. So you have to validate it. You have to recognize what happened. Maybe you need to write it down in your journal and say, this happened when I was nine years old. This affected me. I remember sitting down with um, a pastor who came and preached here, Tim Ross. And he shared his testimony. He said when he was nine years old, a neighbor touched him inappropriately in the garage. But the neighbor went to church with his family. And the neighbor was a elder in the church. And so he felt like he couldn't say anything about it because he didn't want to expose the elder. And, and so he just needed to cover it up and pretend like it never happened. So he erased it from his memory. Except for he didn't erase it from his memory because he had flashbacks on a constant basis. Because the neighbor didn't just do it once. It happened a couple more times. And then he didn't know how to talk about it. So he never talked about it. And he tried to excuse it by saying it wasn't that big of a deal. Except for it began to have effects on his sexual behavior. And he started having sexual addictions as a teenager teenager and then as a young adult, all because of someone who did something when he was younger and he didn't admit it. And then God gave him healing the night that he opened up to a trusted person and began to share what happened. And all of a sudden, the healing started flooding into his soul. Today, Tim Ross is leading an amazing ministry down in Dallas, Texas. He's been experienced, I mean, he's experienced full deliverance, freedom, healing in his life. It's a part of his testimony, but you can't heal from something if you won't actually admit and recognize what happened. Number two, you got to talk to God and a trusted person about it. This isn't something to put on Facebook and Instagram. you got to talk to God. The Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Whoever caused the trauma in your life, let God deal with them. Let God deal with them. 
I remember meeting this guy who came to our church, um, and he brought a gun down to the altar. Ushers, you know, were watching, but he just laid it down at the altar with tears in his eyes. This was a long time ago. My dad was preaching on forgiveness, and I was like a teenager. I remember seeing this guy lays a gun down on the stage at the altar call. And he says, I've been holding this gun waiting for a chance to kill my dad for a long time for what he did to me and my brother. He abused us growing up. He left my mom. He was a, he was a bad man. You know, this guy's just screaming. He's crying. He says, I just wanted to kill him because I felt like God had given me the, the freedom to get revenge, that God had given me the permission, you know, and he's talking about it. And in that moment, God was healing his heart. He was laying the gun down. You see, when you try to get revenge on whoever caused trauma in your life, you end up as the one who's in prison. You end up as the one who deals with even more pain and more hurt. When you give it to God, the greatest revenge is forgiveness. The best revenge is forgiveness. It just freaks people out. They're like, what? I mean, you're going to see when Joseph forgives his brothers, it, it turns them all upside down. It gives them vertigo. They're trying to understand what's going on because forgiveness is so radical. When, when, when you give the trauma to God and you trust that God's going to handle it and then you share it with a trusted person, whatever happened, I'm telling you, there's healing there. Thirdly, um, yeah, be believe that the vengeance belongs to the Lord. Fourth, get in community. Don't isolate yourself. I want the keys to come up. One of the things that happens with trauma is it causes people to isolate themselves, to pull away. The trauma is so painful that you feel like no one's going to understand. I mean, when Job in the Bible went through his trauma, how many of y'all know the story of Job? Like, this is a guy who walks through trauma. And one day, he lost everything. And, and things just went from bad to worse to worse. And uh, even his friends that come beside him and try to talk to him, they don't understand what he's going through to the point where Job's just angry listening to his friends. And when, when we go through trauma, we can get to a place where we don't even want anyone near us. Don't even come near me. I don't trust you. When a girl has been attacked by a guy, uh, neuropathways begin after the trauma. Uh, and then any guy who comes close to her, she, she keeps a hand like this. I don't trust men because of what that one guy did. This is what trauma will do. It will cause you to categorize everyone as the person who hurt you. Everyone as the person who did whatever that one person did. Now everyone is paying the price for it. And so we push people away. We isolate ourselves. So if we're going to get healed, we have to get in community, like getting in church. I want to encourage anyone who's watching online, if it's been a while since you've been in community, come and get in community. Wherever you live, get around other believers. There's healing in numbers. Forgive yourself. Here's the fifth point. Forgive yourself and forgive the perpetrator. Let's go to the story of Joseph. Let's go back. Genesis 37. He goes through all the pain. Then he goes through more pain in, in Genesis 38, 39. He's accused of crimes he didn't commit. He's forgotten about. He's left in a dungeon. 16 years goes by between when he had a dream, when he was thrown in a pit, when he was sold as a slave, and now waiting for that dream to come to pass. And what happens is Pharaoh, the president of the land, the leader of Egypt, has a dream that no one can translate. No one understands the dream. And all of a sudden... The butler remembers, the cupbearer remembers, there's a guy in the, in the prison that I met who knows how to interpret dreams. So Joseph interprets the dream of Pharaoh, 
gets promoted. Pharaoh makes him the number one leader, second to, to only Pharaoh himself. Um, and basically, Joseph is in charge of running the country because there's a famine. Seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. So Joseph stores up all this food for seven years, helps save the country um, from dying during their global pandemic. And then the pandemic begins, and it affects not just Egypt, but it affects Israel, it affects Lebanon, it affects Syria, it affects all the countries in the Middle East. All those people were going through the same famine. And lo and behold, the same guys who tried to kill Joseph are now coming to receive help from Joseph. The dream is manifesting. It's coming to pass. Joseph is seen right before his very eyes. Here he is 20 years later, and he's facing his brothers, the ones who tried to kill him. They don't recognize him because Joseph has changed. Trauma will change you. Trauma will age you. Trauma will cause you to grow up a little bit faster. So here Joseph, he looks different. He has a different name. Uh, he, he looks like one of the Egyptians. He speaks their, a different language, but he still knows who he is and he still knows who they are. There will come a day where the people who hurt you won't even recognize you because you have been changed by the goodness of God, by the grace of God. You'll recognize them, but they won't recognize you. <laughs> How many are thankful that you're not who you used to be? You've come a long way. You may not be where you want to be, but you're definitely not where you used to be. Man, I'm so thankful. There was a time where I was so bitter. I was so bitter, so offended by pe people's... Now, I, literally, you can't offend me. Like, you can't offend me. I was talking, talking the other day with someone who said, hey, I just want you to know I'm really sorry for what happened you know, four or five years ago. And I said, oh, I forgave you of that a long time ago. And he said, you did? I said, yeah, that's why I can hug you. That's why I can smile and laugh around you. That's why I truly enjoy being in your presence. And he said, man, I feel that. And I said, I, I need God's mercy and grace on a daily basis. Anybody else needs God? Yeah, and, and I feel like a sign of spiritual maturity is when you just stop holding offenses towards people because you realize you, you need grace too. And so it was just a beautiful conversation of, of, of just understanding the mercy and the grace of God. So Joseph is staring the people who heard him the most and they're asking for his help. They don't know who he is. And he's been kind of playing games with them. They've gone back and forth. He wanted to know if his dad was still alive. He wanted to know what's been happening in the family. So he's kind of like playing mind games with his brothers. And finally, it says in Genesis 45 verse one, Genesis 45 verse one, Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. What Joseph was saying was, I don't want anyone to know what I'm about to expose. Here's another sign of spiritual maturity. Can you forgive someone and not expose their sin? Can you forgive someone and not announce it on Facebook what they did to you? Or share it with all your contacts and gossip about them at the church? As a prayer request. I got a prayer request, y'all. <laughs> you know how prayer requests are. <laughs> we just start talking about people. <laughs> no, Joseph said, I don't want anyone to know this conversation is between me and my family members. They're the only ones who need to know what I'm about to say. I don't want anyone to look at them differently. I want to cover, I want to protect the reputation. 
They don't deserve it. But that's spiritual maturity. That's grace at its finest. Here Joseph is just operating as like the man. He says, everyone leave. So there was no one in the room except for Joseph and his brothers. And he took off his Egyptian headdress and he began to weep. He began to get vulnerable. One of the ways to heal from trauma is to let the tears come down. Just let your walls come down. Just be vulnerable with God. Be vulnerable with whoever it is that you need to be vulnerable with. He began to weep so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's household heard about the tears, but they didn't hear about the situation. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. It was the speech that left everyone speechless. No, like he literally caused his brothers to just step back as if they had seen a ghost. They thought he had died. They thought there was no way he could have survived what they had done to him. But here he is, healing from the trauma, choosing to not let the trauma define his destiny, choosing to not let the trauma define his joy, his peace, choosing to move forward. Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. You know, Jesus understands your trauma. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he went to visit his disciples and they all didn't at first believe and recognize it was him. In fact, Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see his scars, unless I see the nail scarred hands and see the side where he was pierced. So Jesus shows up a second time and says, Thomas, come closer. I understand your trauma, me too, me too. That movement started way before 2017. Jesus said, me too, Thomas. I understand your trauma. I understand what it's like to be abused. I understand what it's like to be neglected. I understand what it's like to be touched inappropriately. I know what it's like to go through trauma in your own house. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be bruised, to be crushed. It was for your iniquity. It was for your peace. The punishment that brought you healing was placed upon your savior on the cross. Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. Joseph was a foreshadow in the Old Testament of what Jesus would be in the New Testament. When they came close to him, he said, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. And now I want you to know, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Here's what Joseph was doing. He was rewriting the memories. If you don't heal from the trauma, you'll constantly have a neuropathway that leads you down memory lane of bitterness. But Joseph rewrote the neuropathways. He said, you sold me to be a slave. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and God turned it towards a pathway to bring healing and salvation to not just our nation, but to your nation. When you allow yourself to heal from trauma, you start rewriting the story. The reason you get angry when certain things happen is because it's a trigger for you. It's a trigger for you. How many of you guys have triggers? Anybody gonna be honest today? Yeah, I got some triggers. Ah. This message is not gonna fix everything, but at least it's going to speak to something to bring healing in the right direction. 
For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there's gonna be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you, Joseph said, to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, ruler of all of Egypt. So hurry back, get dad, bring the family here. From this day on, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. You know you've been healed from trauma when you are serving financially the people who tried to destroy you. When you're not just praying for their salvation, by the way, instead of praying for your enemies to burn in hell, pray for them to get saved. Pray for them to get delivered. Pray for them to get healed. Pray for them to be restored in their mind and in their soul. That's where Joseph was at. He lived the rest of his life in joy and in peace. He got to watch his kids grow up, his grandkids grow up. He got to enjoy a relationship with his dad before his father passed away. He got to see his dad, Jacob. You know what Joseph was doing? He was watching the bend in his family. And it was almost as if Joseph was looking down at the fathers and he was saying, the jealousy between my brothers and me didn't start here. It started with Jacob and Esau. It started with my dad and his brother. It was Uncle Esau and, and, and dad that always got in fights. And before them, it was, it was between Isaac and, 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 and Isaac had his issues with Ishmael. And, and, and before then, it was, it was Abraham, and Abraham had issues with Lot. And, and before that, we could trace it all the way back between Noah's kids. And before Noah's kids, it was Cain and Abel. And Joseph was looking at the lineage of brothers who just hated each other, brothers who always fought with each other, who tried to kill each other. And Joseph's looking at the bend, and he says, I'm breaking the generational curse in my family. No longer are we going to let trauma dictate the brotherhood that God has in store for future generations. I want my kids to grow up and not kill each other. So I'm changing the family trauma. Listen, trauma has a tree. I wanna just show you real quick. I, can I take like a few more minutes before we end? I wanna show you a picture real quick of the trauma tree. <laughs> the trauma tree, throw it up there if we have that. Because this is, this is what happens is whatever happens when you're younger, throw up the next one, the next slide of that. Picture, picture a tree, there it is. The trauma leads to all these different things. The violence, the nightmares, the sexual problems, the depression, the PTSD, the guilt, the anger, the compulsive behavior, the eating disorders, the anxiety, the low self-esteem. It's all traced back to trauma. So in order to, to, to bring healing, you gotta go back to the roots. And you gotta go back, go, go back to that place and you've gotta address it and then you've gotta give it to God. That's what Joseph was doing. He was saying, I, I, I trace this back, brothers and I'm bringing an end to it, and I'm changing our family's story. Trauma will no longer write our story. So now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna use our trauma as a testimony because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Revelation 12 says they overcame the accuser of the brethren. They overcame the accuser, the liar. He's the father of lies. How did they overcome him? By their testimony. We're building new positive memories. We're building new triggers of healing in our family. We're looking for ways to help others because of the trauma that we walk through. Now we can bring healing to other people who've walked through trauma as well. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? Genesis 50 verse 20 sums it all up and kind of goes back to Romans 8, 28. But Joseph says to his brothers, verse 19, he says, don't be afraid. 
I am not in the place of God. It's not my job to judge you. I want you to know that what you intended to harm me, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and the saving of many lives. I want you to know that God works all things together for good. He's not the author of your trauma. He's the trigger for your healing. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes today all over this place? If you need healing in your mind, your heart, your emotions today, would you just raise your hand? If you're here today and you just say, man, I just need, I need to give some stuff to God, some family stuff, some trauma. Yeah, all over this room, hands going up. Don't invalidate it. Don't excuse it. Don't act like it's not a big deal. Whatever it is, you're saying, I just want the Holy Spirit to do a work in my mind and my heart. Secondly, you're here today and you say, I need to forgive. There's some people I need to forgive. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. Maybe you need to forgive a parent. Maybe you need to forgive a church, a pastor, a friend, someone that lets you down, whatever it is. If you just need to forgive, this is a great day to do it. If that's you, just raise your hand today. It's the pathway towards freedom. It's a pathway towards healing right there. If you raised your hand or you needed to raise your hand or you wanted to, would you leave your seat? Take a bold step towards your healing. Take a bold step towards a new pathway today that you are choosing to get mentally and emotionally stronger, healthier, whole, healed. Come to the altar today. We're gonna go right into this song of worship. Can we cheer on brave men, brave women? Married couples, families in the room. Yeah, all over this place. Whatever, whatever you need today, whatever you're walking through, bring it to the altar today. Maybe you need salvation today. Maybe you need forgiveness today. Maybe you need just a new beginning. Come on down to the altar. Today is a day for healing in the mind, healing in the heart, healing in the emotions. Whatever your dad did, whatever your uncle did, Whatever happened to you when you were younger, your mom, bring it to the altar. Choose to forgive today. Choose to surrender it to God today. Choose to give the vengeance over to the Lord. Choose to let him write your story. Bring the trauma.
Lord, we just thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your healing. Thank you, Lord, for your peace that passes all understanding. For anyone out there today who's saying, Paul, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I don't know what to do with the questions. I don't know what to do with the, the secret things that belong to the Lord. I don't know how to handle it. Philippians says, Pray to God about everything and worry about nothing. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Whatever it is that you need to give to God, you just pray it out. Just give it to the Lord. Cast your cares upon Him. Give Him your trauma. Give Him your hurts, your wounds. Jesus came for the sick, not for those who think they have it all together, but for those who know they need a doctor. He said, that's why I've come. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, surely he took on our pain and our trauma. He bore our trauma on the cross. We considered him punished by God, stricken by God, afflicted by God. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man familiar with trauma. He went through all the suffering and the pain. Like people who would hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. Church, we are healed. We are healed by his wounds. Would you just close your eyes, just lift your hands and Lord, I just pray right now for healing in the room. I pray not just for mental healing, not for just emotional healing, but for physical healing. God, that you would heal bodies, that you would heal people's blood pressure, you would heal people of, of severe sick illnesses, God. Uh, Lord, that where they've been very sick, God, if there's any trace of it connected to mental or emotional pain, God, that today is the beginning of healing, not just in their mind or their heart, but in their body as well. Proverbs says, who can endure a crushed spirit? I believe today God says, I'm bringing healing to that crushed spirit. I'm bringing healing to that crushed mind. I'm bringing hope on the other side of the trauma. I'm bringing forgiveness. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I receive you, your grace, your healing, your forgiveness, your salvation in my heart. I confess that you are my Lord, my Savior. I repent and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my mind, my heart, my life, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Victory, give God praise. I love you. God loves you.